Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Welcome to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How you feeling? I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, um, sometimes we hear about a case and yeah. we're like, ooh, like we hear like the bare bones of it and we're immediately drawn in. Yeah, And we're like, you know what? I want to do that case. And we don't have the time to like go into it further mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, that's the case we've chosen. Yes. Um, and then we'll like publicly announce like that's a specific episode that's coming out. And then we're finished an episode and we're starting the research on this one. And then you're like, ah, there is... Not a lot there. So today's episode is going to be formatted a little differently. (laughs) Yeah. And what Mm -hmm. I want other people to know is that what's fun about this is I'm also researching right now. And all I have to say is, same. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For next week's episode, uh, researched by moi. So yeah, listen. Well, I'm excited. Listen, you know what I think is fun? Changing it up. Yes. Variety is the spice of life, as they say. Sure. <laughs> I also like that. I I mean, I remember when we did episodes that were like an hour 20-ish, yeah. hour yeah, and a so half, because we were like, yeah. we could never go over, we could never hit two hours. That's yeah, way too long. Way too long. Uh, I remember a couple of those episodes where I was like, Oof, I don't know if there's going to be enough to get there. Uh, and then we'd get to like an hour 45 and I'd be like, oh, I, oh, God, I hope it's okay. That feels long. And now I'm like, if I can't hit two hours, 
I'm garbage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like now we've taken that step up because we crossed that threshold without meaning to. Uh, yeah. We set ourselves to a standard where we're like, shit. All right. Well, I guess we're just minimum two hour episodes now. First of all, I don't like you calling yourself garbage because it's not true. <laughs> Uh, second of all, um, apologies. Thank you very much. Uh, second of all, yeah. Listen, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, yeah. Have we become out of control in terms of length? Sure. Yeah. Sure. sure. Uh, maybe one day we'll pair them back. Who knows what's going to happen? You know, we we we've 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 did diff- we've done different seasons of the show before. Maybe there's going to be a season in the future where it's micro episodes. Who knows? Seven minutes each. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you know what I mean? Who knows? But somehow we put out 20 episodes. (laughs) It would kill us. That would be worse. That would be worse. It would. Um, It would. Yeah. I think it is just that we, you know, we got into a rhythm. We got into a rhythm with it. You know what I mean? And and the, the episodes kind of, they got crazy long and then we kind of reeled them back a little. We also kind of extend our chats off the top now, which I like. And again, you know, some yes. people complain about the conversation and, and that's fine. And they, and as we've said, skip ahead 20 minutes and then you'll probably start where the case is and that's fine. Um, yes. But also we get a lot of feedback that people like the, like the banter. They like the chats. So uh, to all of you, dear listeners, thank you. We like that you like it. Yes. And really, it's us finally being able to check in. Like this is yes. our weekly phone call with each other because yes, we are in constant like text communication uh but i would say i love that i'm gonna give this (laughs) a specific number i want i'd say 40 percent of that is about our lives 60 percent is about work related things i may go so far as to say 70 30 like it's mostly work related things where we're talking about like whatever we're researching that day or episodes coming up because we have we plan them so far in advance and stuff like that when are we recording certain things and like we have those kinds of conversations and then there's very little that we of chance where we're like how are you doing what's going on with you and so we're using this moment for that yeah i think it's a beautiful thing i think it is too and along those lines um there is a little something i saved because i do like to do this sometimes i save things that i haven't told you yeah. About about our lives, um, for when we're we're on we're on our weekly check in, like we're talking right now, and yeah. this is a little something that I just want to say congratulations about, and it's because it's it's our today what arrived in the mail. This right here is our 2022 Gracie Awards honorable mention for podcast co hosts or ensembles, uh, and this is the one of the national awards that's from the Alliance hey. for Women in Media Foundation. How about that? That's nice. How about that? Isn't that nice? That is nice. Another thing to add to the mantle. How about it? How about it? Beautiful. Beautiful Well, congratulations. And congratulations. I I love that this is just slowly becoming where we congratulate each other. Yeah. Well, again, if nothing else, we're supportive. We're very supportive, um, especially of one another. And you have to toot your own horn. You have to celebrate your wins in life. And you shouldn't feel, as women especially, we're taught not to brag, not to sound like you're too self-centered or whatever. And and that's not what we're about here at True Crime and Cocktails. And anybody who's listened to the show knows that. Um, And that's an amazing award. I mean, this is is an award. Again, it's it's the Alliance for Women in Media 
Um, and, and so that's a, that's a, that's one that I think is really nice. I mean, they're all amazing to get recognized by, but this is really nice because it's, it's women recognizing women and that's something that we're all about. So I think that that's yeah. uh, a special thing. Well, that's nice. Yeah. You know, like it was it. like earlier, uh, today when I was Googling, cause I was trying to find, I, I, I was looking for a specific type of case that for an episode coming up. And so I'm just Googling like, what are like what's the kind of case I'm looking for? Like I'm Googling and then it, I ends up, I end up with this article from uh, the pioneer woman that yep. was like top 40 true crime podcast. And I was like, great. I don't, this isn't at all what I was looking for. <laughs> I was looking for true crime cases, but I'll browse. Cause you know, I'm, I'm curious. Sure. And so I start scrolling through and I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Heard of some of these, haven't heard of some of these. And then I found us and I squealed and screenshotted and then immediately uh, texted you, which was like a work slash personal, uh, somewhere yes. in the 60, 70%. Well, I think that that's why, yeah, there is crossover. There, there's a gray area where it is crossover there for is. sure. And I yes. think awards and recognitions and whatnot, I think that that is, that is the gray area for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In this case, it's it just proved to me we don't Google ourselves. No. So when these kinds of things come up, we have no idea. No. And it just stumbled upon it. And I was like, damn, this was like a week ago. Yeah. I would have been singing their praises a week ago for it, but I, I didn't know. And if nothing else, I've learned, just Google yourself every once in a while. It can't I, hurt. <laughs> it can't hurt. <laughs> I <laughs> mean... Yeah, we both know that there are, uh, you know, a handful of each of our exes that are probably doing it uh, for each of us on a weekly basis anyway. So, you know, why not take a page from their books? I mean, in no other way. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they know what they had. They're desperately trying to make up for that and the rest of their sad existences, and it's not going to happen. Nope. Nope. That's the cross to bear. Uh, yep. Now, very quickly, we mentioned, I, I mentioned again, uh, women supporting women. And I just want to give a quick shout out, as we do on this show sometimes. Uh, yeah. Friend of mine, very dear friend of mine, gal pal from back home in Canada. Uh, she's down here in Los Angeles. She listens to every episode of this show. Oh. And uh, this past week, once again, old Ash got sick. It's, I, I can't even... I think, I don't know, It's is it bad luck? Who knows? But the point is, is I, I was very sick, and my dear friend, Inessa Frantowski, um, showed up at my home and just sprang into action. And let me tell you, I'm so grateful to her. She truly was just an angel on earth. I cannot stress this enough. Uh, and really got me through a couple of very, very sick days. She was just uh, cooking for me. Um, helping me out, getting me everything I needed. And, uh, and yeah, and she's a, a devout listener of the show. So I'm not even going to tell her I'm doing this. And I know I next, next Tuesday, I'm going to get a text. Uh, <laughs> and I look forward to it. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so wanted to give her a quick shout out because just a true, true gem of a human who I'm very grateful to have in my life. Uh, down here in LA, yes. it's, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, we're all orphans. We talk about being here. It's like everybody who's in LA sure. is an orphan because you're typically nobody's really from here. Um, you know, all of the above. And so it's, it's nice. It's nice to have, uh, especially when you're, you know, a single lady like I am, it's nice to have another single lady who's, uh, who's looking sure. out for you. Very, very grateful. Very lucky. That's nice. Yeah. 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 Well, that's nice. 
kudos to her for springing into action. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's lovely. Uh, And Lord knows I appreciate it because I'm too far and too old for springing. But that's... (laughs) not the point never say the never point is never uh, say never uh shout out anessa yeah and thanks for listening that's so sweet i know listen that's sweet it's really it's she's lovely um now i gotta ask you before we go any further what you drinking over yeah. there oh god i'm just <laughs> barely uh barely getting here on time uh i'm just doing a water yeah and then I, i've got myself a nice a nice frosty folk Oh, I was, great. I was I was going to do booze, and then I was like, I just don't know if I have it in me. I was going to do a Slurpee, and I've already got one of those in me. <laughs> so I couldn't do it again. So I uh, – you could do it again if you didn't do a giant one. But, uh, yeah. look, we uh, – I, I wanted – I wanted pizza – I wanted a Slurpee, and I wanted that finale of Yellow Jackets, and that's how my husband and I spent the afternoon. <laughs> now, listen, I don't want to talk about our uh, witchy connection. <laughs> Who am I yeah. talking? What I can, I, all I want to talk about is our wiki, witchy connection. So, as yeah. I mentioned, I have been sick this past week, which has just been a true gong show in my life. But it doesn't matter. The point is, I was like, "What TV do I really want to watch?" And Yellow Jackets was the thing that I was like, "Ah, oh, I haven't started this yet." It's it, everyone raves about it, won all these awards, sure. and I I binged it all in like a night and a morning because you know when you're sick, you got time. Um, yeah. And I literally texted Christy. I think it was I don't know if it was the night or the next morning. I can't remember. I think, no, it was the next morning, and I just said, hey, I don't know if you've watched Yellow Jackets yet, but I really think that you would, would love it. And the, the 90s soundtrack is phenomenal, and I was oh. just like, I just think you'd really like it. And then you said that you and your husband had been talking the night before about starting to watch it. The night before, it was his movie pick, and he picked like a 2005 Christina Ricci thriller and I commented, I was like, I love Christina Ricci. I'm like, you know, she's got that show, Yellow Jackets. We should start that because we want a show that we watch together uh, when we lunch together. Uh, and we both talked about it. We were like, yeah, we'll maybe get to it at some point. And then you mentioned it. And this was, I think, Sunday during the day, maybe. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, well, Lauren, like, highly recommends it, whatever. Our youngest two were at Grandma's. So we binged three episodes in a row and then they came home and then like hung out for a bit. They go to bed. We binged another two. And then Monday night we did three episodes and this morning we did the last one. And uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. I also turn to him at least every other episode and go, she did warn us this was graphic. <laughs> I did. I did. That I did say. I mean, there it was is. multiple and times. It is. Yeah. it is. It is. There was multiple times in the viewing of that season that I did uh, avert my eyes. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Yes. But, but um, I do enjoy the the realism. I do enjoy that they really go for it. But I, along the lines of what we've been talking about, about the the Gracie honorable mention we got, me, me giving Anessa a shout out. Uh, this is another yeah. thing, though. I love watching a show that's so many women. It's so rare to yeah. see a show that's so many women. It, it's I I just devoured it. I loved it, and it's mostly female yeah. directors. I think, if not all female directors, oh, don't quote nice. me. I, I would need to double check, but I know it's it's a lot of female directors, and 
And yeah, I just love that it's a story that we don't typically see. It's 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 a it's female stories that we definitely don't typically see. Um, yeah. And everybody's so good. I just love. Yeah. I think ever like the 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 and I won't we won't use any spoilers if people haven't seen it. But 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 this is not a spoiler. Um, there's the adult versions of these younger gals, and yeah. and the adult versions, of course, are Mer- Melanie Linsky, who who of course has won awards for her performance in it. Christina right. Ricci, Juliette Lewis, um, all fabulous. Um, yes. And then the other, the other gal whose name is is leaving my brain at the moment. Who's also her name is is her name Tawny? Oof, I'll look it up. Um, all so just fabulous across the board. And yes, uh, Tawny Cypress. Excuse me, more. Uh, sure. And so, but the younger versions of them too are oh. so talented. Like they're all yeah. so good. It's just, ah, uh, I can't, we're not getting paid to say this. I just really love the no. show. Like I just genuinely like was like, this is, this is uh, so compelling and interesting. And what was great for me was I had binged the whole thing as Christy started. And this is my favorite yeah. place to be. Cause all I want, all I want is for her to tell me like, here's my thought, here's my theory. And then I'll just respond back and go noted filed because I don't want to like say anything to let her know whether she's right or she's wrong until she's seen the whole season but now once you once you have now that I know you have seen all of it once you know yeah. we're not online we're gonna have to have a discussion because I have a theory that I've gotta I gotta tell you about that I, I'm jazzed oh about. I can't I can't wait yeah uh I know I was not correct about some things some things I haven't been proven right or wrong yet because that that is a season two maybe season three thing who knows same but I have a theory was, as well yeah I had an immediate theory and I was right. She was. So that was very validating. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, oh, it is solid. And I mean, you know, I mean, Christina Ricci, fuck, I love her so much. But you know how much I love Juliette Lewis. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm obsessed with her. Like, <laughs> a few years ago uh, for Christmas, my husband, uh, one of the gifts he gave me was a CD of Juliette Lewis's band and it was signed by Juliette Lewis and I lost my mind. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Cause I, I love her. She is. Oh God. I just love her so much. No, She's amazing. She's so good. And I think too, it's, it's also like, it goes without saying, but I just think it's also interesting to see female characters that are really flawed, really flawed. And that yeah. it's like, we like are rooting for them so hard. I think that oh, that's really rare in television. Really, really rare. Uh, yes. And film, and film, obviously, but this is just television. Um, but yeah, and there's a great moment, too. This is not a spoiler. There's a great moment, too, where Juliette Lewis has a moment about, like, she says something along the lines of, and I'm, I'm totally messing it up, but it was something about, like, we're all fucked up. It was something about all of them, and it's like, you guys just hide it better or something. And I was just like, yeah. Ugh. I was like, it's so brilliant. It's so true. Um, I think yeah. in general. <laughs> Like, I know she was, t- I mean, it was very specific to the show, but I think in general, sure. it was such a, like, it was a a moment of like, isn't that true for everyone though? It's like, we're all fucked up. People, some people just hide it better than others. <laughs> I think that's, you know. Yes. I think that's oh, just it. Oh God, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like the people who post something on Instagram and you're like, oh God, look at their life. It's so perfect. And it's like, yeah, that's the perfect little corner of their life, but they're not showing you the entire thing. So yep. we all like nobody has no issues. 
whatsoever. I, no. Lord knows no. I discuss my issues constantly on <laughs> On this show, you think so I don't? Like, <laughs> Again, the two. This is this is what we do here. Again, yeah. it's our weekly check-in, so people are just along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, they get uh, they get what they get. They it is what it is, uh, and it just sometimes it pushes into like personal where you're like, oh, you forget that it's going out to a lot of people, and a lot of people are going to hear, you know, about my numerous. Uh, mental illnesses that I do have, uh, yeah. but I own them. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, just doing my best to get by. <laughs> just know? two women yeah. getting by. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I, I mean, I think it's fabulous. I love that, again, we had this witchy connection where on the same day we had the idea about Yellow Jackets, which, again, it was it's a huge show. It's very popular. Yes. But, but we have missed the crest. Like, it was very popular <laughs> like six months ago. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think the finale came out in like January. I believe that's year. correct. Yeah. And so we're late. <laughs> we're late. So it's weird that again on the exact same day, but I like that. That makes me feel like our periods aren't the yeah. only thing sinking. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I also, uh, this is the earliest uh, that I've been late. You know, like usually I'm years, like I'm oh. years beyond when everyone's talking about something and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I've never seen it. And I'm so far gone. But yeah. this, this is within a year? Good for me. Like, yeah. It came in. I heard about it and was like, I don't know. And then just never got to it. And then finally went, you know what? We need a show. And that's that's the true joke of this whole thing is we wanted a show that we could watch, ever, watch an episode over, having lunch together. Kids not home, so it doesn't have to be family appropriate. And we binged it all before we got to a lunch. So, <laughs> so now we're like, ah, I guess we got to find another show. And that's the joke. He's got shows. I have shows. But we have so few that ever cross over. Right. So I guess now we got to find another one or I have to convince him to start Stranger Things from season one with me, which I'm going to do, but I'm realizing by the time I actually have time, I I will have a week to binge those three seasons. So, chop, chop. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, I, the one thing I know about you, not a quitter. Nope. Nope. And what's gonna, what it's going to turn into is... The Instagram account that I barely use, I'm going to end up on there and it's going to be posts. It's going to be stories of me being like, I'm into hour 10. <laughs> I haven't slept in days. Like, it's going to be, yeah. it's going to end up being a nightmare. But yeah. who are we kidding? I'm, I can't just focus on that. I'll be, it'll be playing, but I'll be doing like a million other things because I can't sit still. Yeah. Well, welcome to my life. Yep. Uh, listen, dear listeners, let's get into the case. We're talking, of course, the case of Lindsay Buziak. Um, now, I don't know a lot about this one, so uh, I look forward to it. And again, as Christy has alluded, this is an episode that's going to be structured a little bit differently uh, yeah. than, than our typical episodes. And I'm jazzed. I'm jazzed. Again, change it up. Change it up. Yeah. Never hurt anybody. Uh, so, a little background for all of you right now. 
Realtor Lindsay Buziak was found brutally murdered at a house that she was showing to some prospective clients. The clients turned out to be cold-blooded killers who had given Lindsay false information to lure her to the empty house. Fourteen years later, the murderous clients have never been found. Was it a crime of passion or a professional execution? And while looking into Lindsay's case, Christie discovered that real estate agents have a surprisingly dangerous job. In an episode full of true crime cases, join us as we discuss the death of Lindsay Buziak, as well as more than 10 similar cases where the victims were all real estate agents just trying to do their jobs. Really liked that one. I liked how you I, wrote that one. Again, I was in a headspace where I, because I do that one, and then I write a, I write a very different one that goes with the episode, so when people go on to their whatever platform they use it talks about so trying to like do the the two of them it's <laughs> you don't think of these like the amount of things that go into one episode but a lot of moving pieces i have a weekly checklist <laughs> i should just legitimately like have it pr- like on a form that i can just print out yeah oh my god and then put it into an, a date book on its own i would love that <laughs> I will also say, because uh, I am who I am, um, I also, uh, part of the reason I chose this one is because I started thinking, like, I wanted to branch out to other areas. We have, because uh, this is Canadian, but I want, we've done a case uh, in British Columbia before, but I once I found out about this case, I was like, well, we have to do it. But uh, I have printed out papers for myself that list all of, like, the states in America and the provinces and territories in Canada and all the places in like UK and Europe and Australia and all of that. And I've been highlighting (laughs) whenever we do a case located there, I highlight it off my little chart. Uh, It gives me joy. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Uh, And so my goal is to uh, get more of those locations knocked off. If we ever share an office, God willing, yeah, I what I'm hearing is giant map of the world. Yeah. And then we've got little push pins that we put in every time we do a case. <laughs> <laughs> Your face, I mean that was I think that's the most excited I may have ever seen you. <laughs> I want that map to cover a wall. Yeah, big a full wall. Big big big. I couldn't be more into that yeah couldn't be more into that um i yeah look i'm i i'm i want to branch out i want to do more things i have a goal of like i want to be able to like have this paper covered in highlighter and not just because it's appealing to my eye um that's probably the entire reason the point is That's why, uh, and I'm talking like, it's not, I don't just mention the place. That's not enough. It has to be the main case we talk about is located there. There are, later on in this episode, I'll be getting into cases from all over the place. But I'm not counting them on that sheet because I'm making it harder for myself. (laughs) Of course. You mean the main case we talk about only is the only one that counts. Yeah. And look, the idea... Of this odd couple sharing an office. (laughs) 
like, I just foresee, like, one side of it is, like, highlighted. There's, like, post-its everywhere. Uh, you know, random, like, Funko Pops and, like, plushes of Buzz Lightyear. And then on the other side, <laughs> there's, like, dregs of Starbucks <laughs> left in a cup. <laughs> like, eight cups everywhere. Yep, yep yeah. Uh, piles and like a just partial piles. Yeah. dirty plates like a part yep. like a partial snack like yep. i just ah mm-hmm. uh, what a what a, and to me what a dream what a joy yeah <laughs> yep. what a dream i can't yep. even uh i can't even begin to imagine so yeah this one's gonna be a bit different again found it because i thought i'd like more canadian cases i love it in and then i it turns out i Chose one from the same province we've already talked about, but it doesn't matter. We're going to hit the same places multiple times. The point is, I'm doing my best to get to you. you love know? it. I love You're it. like, there's a case in my area. Well, I'm, I'll, I'll be looking, you know? I'm well, gonna get you're there. always on her mind. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. So, as always, to start off, a disclaimer. This episode will contain mentions of various substances, sexual assault, and suicide. Trigger warning for those who need it. Oh, I was going to continue reading, and I realized that's where I talked about it being formatted differently. (laughs) I went off the top. I went off the rails, and I'm going to cross it off. Why? Because I can't. (laughs) For you, I know. It's for her. It's, It's, It's fine. This is her process. It's... A problem. There, I mean, there is no hiding any of my mental illnesses. But again, you think I hide mine well? <laughs> again. I don't know about that. We're not saying anything negative about them. It's no, just. just is. We all, we all grew up certain ways and became certain people and we're all doing our best. Yeah. Using uh, our gifts the best way we can. Thank you. I don't even know what's going on. The point is. Lindsay Elizabeth Buziak was born November 2nd, 1983, to Jeff Buziak and Evelyn Reitmeyer. The family also included a daughter named Sarah. Lindsay was described as caring, popular, driven, vivacious, and a ray of sunshine. Her friends said that she was fun-loving, generous, talented, and had a zest for life. Lindsay was known for her big heart and her infectious laugh. On January 31st, 2008, Lindsay received a phone call from a woman who Lindsay described as having a thick Mexican or Spanish accent. The woman said that she got a job offer in Victoria, British Columbia, and that she and her husband would be moving from Vancouver, which is roughly 114 kilometers or 71 miles away. The unknown woman also claimed that one of Lindsay's past clients had referred this woman uh, to Lindsay, or had referred Lindsay to this woman, rather. The woman said she was looking for a house that was brand new. She wanted three bedrooms, three bathrooms, and a separate housekeeper's quarters. The woman's budget was $1 million, but she needed the house in just three days' time. Lindsay wrote all of these specs down in her day planner, as well as the woman's phone number, For some reason, Lindsay did not write the woman's name down. Instead, she listed the woman's number as million dollar in her cell phone. 
The next day, on February 1st, Lindsay compiled a list of potential house options and sent them to the woman. Uh, They spoke on the phone 10 separate times. The woman only agreed to see one property, a house in the Victoria suburb, Saanich. So Lindsay set up an appointment for February 2nd at 5.30 p.m. At the time, Lindsay had recently moved in with her boyfriend, Jason Zallow. Uh, I couldn't find an exact birth year on Jason, but in February 2008, he was about 26 or 27 years old. Uh, Lindsay was 24, so not that far off. Uh, Jason was a pro- from a prominent wealthy family who owned a successful real estate business. He also played hockey semi-professionally before joining the family business as a mortgage broker. Lindsay met Jason in 2006 at a real estate tutoring course. In February 2008, they had been dating for 18 months and had recently moved in together. Lindsay and Jason worked together, and it is said that Jason often worked on the financials of Lindsay's deals. So Lindsay stopped by her REMAX office on Chatterton Way and spoke with the receptionist briefly. She mentioned being nervous about the showing, as she was unsure about this unknown couple that she was meeting. The receptionist, whose name has not been released publicly, said specifically that Lindsay was feeling really weird and, quote, freaked out about the showing. For one thing, the woman called Lindsay's cell phone, not her the office, which is rare, and Lindsay was still relatively new to the realty field, so it was unusual that this client would choose Lindsay over other realtors with more experience. Uh, the woman also claimed that Lindsay refer- was referred to her from a past client, and Lindsay made a bunch of calls to past clients and could not find a single person who knew this woman. So it was very clear that Lindsay was like specifically targeted with this phone call, and it freaked her out. Rightly so. Lindsay left the office and met up with her boyfriend Jason at a restaurant called Sauce, which closed in 2013. So Lindsay and Jason met up between 3 and 4 p.m. They paid the bill at 4.24 p.m. Lindsay went home to change, and Jason went to an auto shop called SHC Auto Graphics, Uh, And the owner of the shop was looking to sell the property, and Jason allegedly was bringing them an offer. The shop was located 1.9 kilometers or 1.1 miles from the restaurant. Jason arrived there at 4.29 p.m. During his time at the shop, Lindsay called to say she was heading to the showing. Now, here's where information gets conflicting. A documentary that I watched uh, claimed that Lindsay had previously asked Jason to go with her to the showing because she felt uneasy, but most of the other information that I found claims that during that phone call, uh, Jason offered for the first time to show the house for her, uh, but Lindsay wanted to do it herself. Jason then offered to follow her to the property, which she agreed to. Part of me felt like that particular documentary was trying to skew things to make Jason look guiltier than he was. But to be honest, he doesn't come across as 100% innocent. So, you know, either way. Uh, But I can understand 
Lindsay's apprehension about attending the showing alone, and I can also understand why she would want to lead the showing as opposed to let Jason take over. She was new to the realty business. She knew that selling a million-dollar home would not only be great commission, but would also propel her status at work. So I get why she'd want to do it on her own, but also someone calling her cell phone out of the blue and being like, you're the one I want to handle this million dollar sale, even though she'd never done it before. That just feels off and she felt it felt off and for good reason. So Lindsay heads to the property at 1702 DeSousa Place a small cul-de-sac that contained only four houses. The house in question was on the outer end at the intersection of D'Souza Place and Torquay Drive. Uh, It seemed to check every box on the client's list. It had three bedrooms, three bathrooms. It was brand new. It was vacant. It was listed at $965,000. Lindsay parked her black BMW in the home's driveway and accessed the lockbox on the front of the house at 5.29 p.m. Uh, After the showing, Lindsay was going to head to Vancouver for a friend's bachelorette party. Cohen Oatman, a friend of Jason's, met him at the auto shop as they had dinner plans later that evening. Cohen later told police his cell phone battery died, so he contacted Jason from a payphone. They agreed to meet at the auto shop and would carpool from there. While at the shop, Jason lost track of time and didn't end up leaving the shop until 5.30 p.m. There is surveillance camera footage of Jason and Cohen heading to Jason's Range Rover at that time. According to the Murder Squad, a.k.a. Paul Holes and Billy Jensen, uh, Jason couldn't locate the house in his GPS, so he called Lindsay for directions. Shortly into the call, Lindsay said the couple had arrived, so she had to go. And that was based on their website. Just, uh, okay, you know, in case anybody is curious. Not that it matters, but, you know. Uh, at 5.30 p.m., two witnesses saw a well-dressed couple, a man and a woman, walk into the D'Souza Place cul-de-sac, which is located in the Gordon Head neighborhood. Lindsay greeted the couple at the end of the driveway, and the three of them walked into the house together. Now, the auto shop was 8.6 kilometers or 5.3 miles away from the house. At 5.38 p.m., Jason texted Lindsay to say he was just a couple minutes away. His text went unopened. When Jason and Cohen arrived at DeSousa Place around 5.45 p.m., they noticed the front door of the house open and then quickly close. They sat in the car for about 10 minutes before moving the vehicle and parking alongside the house and waited another 10 minutes. Jason texted Lindsay to ask if she was okay. When she didn't respond, Jason and Cohen went to the door but found it locked, which is not supposed to happen during a showing. They rang the doorbell, but no one answered. Jason called 911 at 6.05 p.m. to explain the situation, saying that Lindsay was kind of scared and that he kind of followed her. He said that he had briefly seen a man through the window on the door, and he could see Lindsay's shoes at the bottom of the staircase. Uh, The call then, I guess, ended for some reason, and Jason and Cohen walked around the property Uh, Through the fence, they could see that the back door was open, so Jason helped Cohen over the fence, and Cohen went through the house to unlock the front door. 
They agreed to split up. Cohen searched the main floor. Jason headed upstairs. In the master bedroom, Jason found Lindsay lying in a pool of blood. He yelled out for Cohen to call 911 again as Jason tried to check for a pulse. Jason attempted CPR as Cohen called 911 at 6.11 p.m. Lindsay was pronounced dead on scene. She was just 24 years old. Lindsay had been stabbed more than 40 times in the head and chest. Her official cause of death was blood loss. The coroner estimates Lindsay's time of death to be approximately 5.40 p.m. At 5.41 p.m., Lindsay's BlackBerry made what is assumed to be a pocket dial, as the call was to a friend that Lindsay hadn't been in touch with for a long time. The voicemail was muffled and not helpful to investigators. Police searched the area. They brought in sniffer dogs, but no suspect was ever found. Lindsay's purse, phone, and wallet were at the scene, so we know it wasn't a robbery, and there was no sign of sexual assault. Jason and Cohen were immediately taken to the police station, where they were questioned separately. Both were soon released when their version of events was verified, in part thanks to the security cam footage from the auto shop as it was time-stamped. Jason has been interviewed multiple times and has even passed a polygraph since then. Police believe the killers were leaving through the front door when Jason arrived, but when they heard his car, they changed their plan and went out the back door instead. It is also believed that the couple parked on a nearby street as they were initially seen walking into the cul-de-sac and were never seen around a vehicle. The cell phone used to call Lindsay was found to have been purchased at a Vancouver convenience store in November 2007. It was purchased under the name Paolo Rodriguez, which police later determined was fake. The address listed with the phone, also fake. The phone wasn't activated until late January 2008. Based on cell towers, the calls to Lindsay were all made from Vancouver. The phone then traveled from Vancouver to the island where Victoria is located just 24 hours before Lindsay's murder. On the one-year anniversary of Lindsay's death, the Saanich police released information about the unknown couple who met with Lindsay at the DeSouza Place house. Witnesses describe the man as Caucasian, 30 to 40 years old, six feet tall, with dark hair. He was wearing a light-colored jacket that Jason described as, quote, a classy brown jacket that fell below the waist. The woman was described as Caucasian, about 35 to 40 years old, with short blonde hair. She was wearing a very distinctive skirt or dress that witnesses described as black with thick white and red swirls. Police found what they believed to be the dress, uh, which was made by a company called Nine West. But the dress was available in so many stores that finding the type of dress didn't produce any leads. Police released a photo of the dress as well as a sketch of the woman, which I will post on our socials on Instagram and Facebook at True Crime and Cocktails and on Twitter at Not Detectives. Based on the fact that the couple were seen meeting with Lindsay at 5.30 p.m. and her time of death was 5.40 p.m., it's safe to assume that those people were her killers. But why? Since none of Lindsay's belongings were taken, we know it wasn't a robbery. 
and since the couple were unknown to Lindsay, it's unlikely they killed her based on a personal grudge. So it's safe to assume that the couple were hired killers, possibly serial killers, I suppose, especially with the extreme amount of effort and forethought that went into all of this. And we know that Lindsay was specifically targeted as the woman reached out to Lindsay on her cell phone and chose to meet with her as opposed to the realtor with maybe more experience or even the listing agent on the only house that the woman agreed to see. But why Lindsay specifically? Well, at first, police believed the attack was planned by someone close to Lindsay. One detective said, quote, The stranger the facts, usually the closer to home the answer is. So as with any case where a woman dies, we look first to the partner, or in this case, Jason Zalo. Zalo. I apologize. Not sure how that's said. Uh, it turns out Jason's family had a connection to the D'Souza place. It was named after developer Joe D'Souza, who was a friend and business associate of Jason's mother, Shirley Zello. Part of the cul-de-sac was under construction at the time, and Joe D'Souza was even there, but he left at 4.30 p.m., and his construction crew left around 5 p.m. That's interesting. So, right? Yeah. Uh, the fact that Jason knew that Lindsay felt uneasy and then he agreed to go to the house but didn't head to the house until the appointment start time is suspicious. Casually being seen on time-stamped security footage at the exact time Lindsay met with her killers feels like something somebody would do to make sure they had an alibi. I am, of course, just speculating, but why would Jason want Lindsay dead? Lindsay's father, as well as her friend uh, Nikki, uh, claimed that Lindsay told them both separately she was planning to end things with Jason because she found him to be possessive and jealous and that she felt smothered by him. Of course, I can't confirm any of that. Uh, Nikki claims that Jason overheard Lindsay say she was thinking of leaving him and that Jason snapped, causing Lindsay and Nikki to leave the apartment. Uh, Jason then allegedly called Lindsay 30 times, and after a Christmas spent uh, skiing together in Whistler, things were back to normal between them. Again, I don't know how accurate this is. Uh, Lindsay obviously has not verified it. Um, and Jason, of course, won't confirm it. It could be possible that Nikki and Jeff are trying to give a potential motive to make Jason seem guilty. Uh, I also read, but couldn't confirm, that Nikki claimed in late 2008, she received a phone call in the middle of the night and the woman on the other end had a strange accent that she couldn't place. Nikki claims she got freaked out and she hung up and then she tried calling the number back 20 to 30 times before someone finally answered. Nikki said the person who answered the phone was Shirley Zallo, Jason's mother. Whoa! Shirley outright denies this. And if police ever looked into it, they have not said so publicly. I'm not 100% sure if it happened. Um, she claimed when Jason and Lindsay were fighting, Jason called her 30 times. Now she's saying she called this number 20 to 30 times. It just feels like a weird coincidence for the amount of times 
Uh, and if for some reason Shirley really did call Nikki, there would be a phone number that police could trace. So did it happen or not? I don't know. I have no way of seeing the police yeah. file. I would like to. Yeah, really. Um, I just want to know, did they look into this? Anything like that. I just want to see some records. Yeah. Uh, I'm not convinced. Nope, already went there. Wow, she's really on fire today. <laughs> Is it possible that Jason and his family weren't involved in any way? Of course. There is currently no proof that Jason or his family were involved. The timing of when he arrived at the house and the fact that he chose to wait outside for 20 minutes feels suspicious to me. If you knew she was nervous, why wait at all? Why not go to the door immediately when you arrive? And if it was Jason or a member of his family who ordered this hit, why would they want Lindsay murdered in one of the homes their company is trying to sell? Was it the only opportunity the killers could find to get Lindsay alone? It can't be easy to try and sell a house once people find out that a brutal murder happened there. Police have publicly stated that no one in the Zallow family is a suspect in Lindsay's murder. One detective said, quote, The Zallow family have met with our detectives of their own free will, voluntarily, and have satisfied every investigative request that our detectives have had of them. Jason said, quote, every time they ask me to come down to the police department for questions or to answer something, anything, whatever it is, I said yes. I have read that Jason refused to give a DNA sample. I couldn't confirm whether that was true or not. I read he fully cooperated with police, including giving them the laptop that he shared with Lindsay, giving police his cell phone and agreeing to a polygraph. If police publicly stated that Jason fully cooperated, maybe he did offer a DNA sample, but it's also possible he was just straight up never asked for one. On the one-year anniversary of Lindsay's death, Saanich police publicly cleared Jason of any involvement in the murder, saying, quote, we're quite confident he was not the person responsible for her death. So if not Jason, then who else might want Lindsay dead? Well, another police theory is that Lindsay was murdered by a drug cartel. In December 2007, less than two months before her murder, Lindsay spent four days visiting her father in Calgary, Alberta. While there, Lindsay reached out to an old high school friend named Erickson Lopez del Alcazar. We don't know why she reached out to him or even what their specific relationship was. I've heard that Erickson was a close friend of one of Lindsay's ex-boyfriends. I've heard that her and Erickson went to school together in high school. Both points could be true, but I don't know the exact nature of their relationship. Uh, I've also read that the person Lindsay contacted was a friend or family member of Erickson's. It's the fact that no one could just give me a straight answer. Yeah. It really gets super frustrating. While chatting through Facebook, Lindsay gets Erickson's number, and they eventually hung out in person while she was in Calgary. We know that she first contacted him December 14th, 2007. Lindsay's father claims during that trip, Lindsay told him, quote, I saw something I shouldn't have seen. There is speculation that Lindsay may have seen something involving Erickson's business, 
At the time, Erickson was involved in a major cocaine trafficking operation. On January 22, 2008, Erickson was arrested in what police referred to as Operation High Noon, which at the time was the largest drug bust in Alberta's history. Oh, wow. At 9 p.m. during a traffic stop, Erickson was found to have five kilos of cocaine in his car, plus $105,000 cash. When his property was searched, police seized another 25 kilos and $217,000 cash. Less than a week later, police opened a safe that they found in uh, Erickson's garage. Inside, they found another 42 kilos, uh, which at the time was estimated to be worth $1.3 million. Shortly after that, another 13 kilos was found hidden in secret compartments in multiple vehicles. Erickson and his crew were using vehicles to transport cocaine between Alberta and Victoria, B.C. In total, police seized 80 kilos of cocaine, three handguns, a rifle, body armor, and $330,000 cash. Operation High Noon was a year-long investigation, and in the end, it led to the arrest of 12 people from Calgary and two men from British Columbia. Erickson, who was 28 at the time, had his main address in Victoria. I couldn't find out what ended up happening with that case, but on January 6, 2017, police raided a home across from an elementary school in Victoria, B.C., Erickson was one of three men arrested after police seized more than $26,000 in cash and multiple drugs, including 600 pills. Police said they were planning to test the pills for fentanyl. Nothing has been publicized about that since. Uh, On October 24th, 2017, BC police made a public announcement looking for the public's assistance in locating Erickson for Uh, breach of recognizance, which basically means he didn't follow the rules that were set by the court. I don't know where Erickson currently is. Uh, Lindsay did not send any messages on Facebook after January 24th. Was that because of Erickson's arrest just two days before? When police went through Lindsay's laptop, they noticed some of her chat messages had been deleted but they could not tell when they had been deleted. Did she delete her message history with Erickson after he got arrested to try and distance herself? The point is also he got arrested January 28th. She was murdered February 2nd. That feels a little close to me. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay's friends and family were adamant that Lindsay never touched drugs in any way. But is it possible that someone found out about the communication between Lindsay and Erickson, and they believed that Lindsay knew more than she did? Some have suggested that maybe someone in the trafficking operation thought Lindsay was a snitch of some sort since Erickson was arrested just five weeks after meeting with Lindsay. Her father claims she saw some something. Maybe someone thought she had gone to the police. Uh, a detective investigating Lindsay's case said, quote, There is nothing in her life, and we've conducted an extensive background check that would indicate she was involved in anything criminal, in anything of a domestic violence relationship, and that is the most perplexing thing. 
We know that for sure the killers strategically planned to kill Lindsay. They used a burner phone that was used to contact Lindsay, and then it was likely discarded because it was never used again. They committed the crime and fled the scene in just 10 minutes. The killers left little evidence behind, which makes you think that maybe Lindsay wasn't their first victim. But the fact that she sustained more than 40 stab wounds feels like either her murder was a very personal attack full of rage, or it was an attack meant to send a message. So was it a crime of passion or a drug-related execution? Uh, The answer, of course, I mean, Lord knows we'll discuss, but a few updates since uh, the case happened. In 2009, a friend of Lindsay's was browsing at a local thrift store called Value Village when she found a dress that had similar coloring to the one the female suspect was wearing on the day of Lindsay's murder. Her father came into possession of the dress, contacted police to come get it. If they have tested the dress, nothing has been made public about it. On the second anniversary of Lindsay's death, her family and the real estate board offered a reward of $100,000 for information. In 2012, Lindsay's father, Jeff, raised the reward to $500,000 and started a website searching for the truth of what happened to Lindsay. On August 6, 2017, a message was posted uh, on the website that her father created saying, quote, I killed Lindsay and stupid cops will never prove it, so you got, you got nothing. No one gives a shit anymore, anyhow, except her crybaby dad. Even her fakey girlfriends have washed it away. Typical loser chicks. Sandwich cops dropped it because they can't solve shit, and we're told to drop it. Cut the phony investigation. It's done. Go home, losers. Forget about her. The streets always rule. Bitches die every day. End quote. Interesting. Now, both Lindsay and Sanich were spelled incorrectly in that language, in that particular post, but based on the specific language used, I think it's most likely the message was simply a cruel joke because the internet can be an absolute hole. Yeah. Uh, In February 2021, Sanich police announced that due to advancements in DNA analysis and technology, they had new leads in the case. Nothing has been made public since then, so I can't tell what those new leads are, but it potentially has something to do with genetic genealogy, which is a new technique that uses DNA samples from the crime scene to find relatives of the potential suspects, which could lead then to finding the suspects themselves. Genetic genealogy was used to help catch the Golden State Killer. It was also used to solve a cold case involving the murder of a young couple from Saanich in 1987. On November 18, 1987, 20-year-old Jay Cook and his girlfriend, 18-year-old Tanya or Tanya Van Cullenborg, uh, drove from Saanich to Seattle for an overnight trip. A week later, uh, Tanya's body was found down an embankment north of Seattle. She'd been shot in the back of the head and sexually assaulted. Jay's body was found two days later, near a bridge 60 miles or 95 kilometers from where Tanya's body was found. Jay had been beaten with rocks and strangled. 
Their van was found abandoned near a bus station. In 2018, a private forensic lab put the DNA found at the scene into a public ancestry bank and got a close match. They followed the match to the person's second cousin, a man named William Earl Talbot II. When Talbot's DNA was tested, it was found to be an exact match to semen found on a pair of pants at the crime scene. At the time of the incident, Talbot's parents lived just seven miles or 11 kilometers from the bridge where Jay's body was found. In June 2019, Talbot was found guilty and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. But then in December 2021, his conviction was overturned because of a juror's bias. So, we're still awaiting to see what's going to happen after that. But regarding Lindsay's case, now I have heard both that the crime scene was meticulously cleaned and that no DNA was found. But now they're saying they have more leads based on new DNA technology. Not to mention, they've also said there were bloody footprints at the crime scene. So was it meticulously cleaned or were there footprints? Because those are two different things to me. Yeah. Uh, Currently, Shirley Zallow and Jeff Buziak are in court as Shirley is suing Jeff for defamation. Shirley claims that the website lindsayboziakmurder.com has relentlessly attacked her and her family online. The The site is allegedly owned and operated by Jeff, who, of course, is Lindsay's father. Shirley claims that Jeff, quote, published or arranged to have published more than a dozen defamatory comments about her between 2019 and 2021. Their suit is currently ongoing. Jeff Buziak leads an annual walk every February in memory of Lindsay to help keep her case in the public eye. Throughout the investigation, Saanich police have served 30 search warrants and tracked over 700 tips. But as of June 2022, Lindsay's case remains unsolved. I mean, this is a real head scratcher, um, but I've got a theory. Of course. (laughs) And we're going to come to you. Exactly. And we're going to talk about it right after the break. So grab another drink, hit the can, and we're going to talk about our theories about the Lindsay Buziak murder on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing this very tragic case of Lindsay Buziak. Um, I got a lot of I got a lot of theories here. Yeah. Not a lot of theories, but I got a couple. I got a couple. All right. And I'm going to say some things. We're going to speak in general terms. These are all alleging. I have I have absolutely nothing to base this on other than just we're speculating. We're alleging. It's what we do on this show. Of course. I just want that to go without saying. Okay. It is exceptionally creepy for your cell phone to get a call from someone saying, I've been referred to you. It appears that she went to the trouble of asking around because she didn't have that many clients. Yeah. And asking, was it you? Was it you? And she couldn't figure out who it was. Correct. It's hard to believe for me that Jason isn't involved. Because with all of that information and the fact that they were together at Sauce, the restaurant, which I also just want to say, that's my dream of a restaurant. I don't know if they have a lot of sauces, but for me, that would be the dream. Of course. Um, Just a sauce bar. Oh, please. Uh, it's, It's almost difficult for him to have not gone with her. It feels like he was making an alibi. So I could see why someone would try to create that in a if, – if there was someone trying to, like, paint a story. I can see why you would lean that way because it almost feels impossible for that to be true. And we and I'm not saying his alibi isn't true. We know that it's true because it was corroborated with his friend Cohen and with all sure. of the time-stamped videos. But it just feels almost impossible. This is a very creepy situation. She was feeling uneasy. We know this from the receptionist that was interviewed. She had said it to him, how uneasy she was. Why did he have to go to the auto shop at that time? Why did they split up at all? Why didn't he say, you know, I don't know. that. And listen, I'm going to get to the, the, other, the other stuff in a minute because I'm not negating that. But it is, I don't know. Let's put it this way. It doesn't prove that he had anything to do with it. Sure. But it's exceptionally odd to me. Oh, 100%. Because also, why – and I understand she was going to a, a bachelorette party that night potentially, so he had dinner plans with his friend Cohen. That that makes sense. But why was he like, meet me at the auto shop? It's like he wanted to have a friend there to corroborate his timeline. He didn't necessarily know there'd be video evidence, that there would be – Sure. Right? And sure, there would be the person working at the auto shop to corroborate his, his timeline to an extent – But if you have a buddy that's with you the whole time, that's really, that's solidifying a really strong alibi. Oh, 100%. Now, the only other thing I offer, because we don't leave any stone unturned on this show. Of course. Is it possible? I know that witnesses saw the couple going into the house. Of course. Yes. But is it possible that either that's not true and those witnesses were paid to say that? I'm going on a batshit sure. crazy theory sure. here. And Jason and Cohen didn't wait in the car for 20 minutes. Is it possible that they arrived and went in right away? Sure. Is it possible that Jason and Cohen did this together. Now, the, I go down that road, but then their stories check out. 
Jason passed a lie detector test, but then we also know it is possible to beat lie detector tests. Sure. It's it's a little confounding. Again, the, it, it's just odd to me. The, the details with him are odd to me because we both know that if he had been there, this case could have turned out differently. Yes. So it seems very convenient that your male partner just just kind of shit the bed and then, uh-oh, how tragic. Like, that just feels... Yeah, you know? my whole thing is like, uh, he was like, you know what, I, I'll, I offer to, to show the house for you if you're nervous. Yeah. And then she said, no, she wanted to do it. And then his other thing was like, oh, I'll just like follow you. So I'm there. And it's like, why wasn't another option? I'll, I'll, I'll show it with you. You do it. I'll just happen to be there. We'll act like it's a normal thing that the two of us show houses together. And then I'll just happen to be there. Because the thing, the detail there is they did work together. Now I recognize that he was the broker guy. He was behind the scenes doing the finances, but it's, he, he did work for the company. So first of all, it's her prerogative if she wants to have anybody there with her, Sure, as far as I'm concerned, but also um, he works for the company. Yeah. So it's also not crazy that, Somebody else who works for the company would be there. I don't know. Something about it just doesn't sit right with me. And again, their story checks out. Again, he's passed the slide detector test. So so for all we know, it is the truth. But I don't know. It's just odd to me. Also, the fact that her shoes were at the bottom of the stairs. He said he looked in the door and he saw that her shoes were at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah. Now, this house was empty. And yes. I understand uh, that if you are showing a home quite often, if if the home is lived in, uh, that a realtor will take off their shoes and ask that you take off your shoes when you come in. Sure. But this house was empty. It was still in the process of being finished, being built, or the houses in that area were. Right. And I, it was February, so you could argue, well, what's the winter weather like? Well, typically, I mean, I don't know, typically BC weather is not as brutal in terms of winter sure. as the rest of Canada. Now, again, Victoria, perhaps... Maybe at that time, maybe it, it was worse, but he did specifically say shoes as opposed to like boots. Maybe yes. that was a colloquialism or not. But it's interesting to me that 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 and maybe she was just being polite, taking her shoes off because but to me, if a house is completely empty, when I saw my house, for example, sure. my house was completely empty. We didn't take our shoes off. The house is completely empty. Yeah. Yeah. That Do makes you know sense. what I mean? Like it's it's like it's gonna be cleaned, it's gonna be professionally cleaned before you move in. So Yeah. Well, even and when like, I did uh, house hunting six years ago, I, I was like, you take your shoes off. That's what you do. And when I went to do it, my realtor was like, don't worry. Don't bother. Yeah. We don't do that. I don't know. And again, I know that, that this is another one of those things that it's like, that's one of the things you dig in on, Lauren. But it's one of those things to me that's just interesting because either it speaks to her inexperience as a realtor and that's it and it means nothing. Sure. Or it is, it is another detail here because- if we know that they showed up at 5.30, if I'm going yeah. back to it being the couple, the well-dressed couple. Sure. They show up at 5.30. Her time of death is estimated for 5.40. And she was found dead on the bed in the bedroom. And there's a bed in there. So I guess it's also, right? Was, well, it, no, was she found there dead? There wasn't a bed. She was found in the so, bedroom. Thank you very but much. Yes. I love that my brain was like, there's got to be a bed in the bedroom. But then I realized as I was saying it, <laughs> no, there sense. doesn't. Um, okay, so but she's found in the bedroom. So they've yes. gone upstairs. What is the timeline of this murder? Because typically, I would think, go with me on this, 
If you sure. go into a two-story house, I've seen two-story houses yeah. when I've been house hunting. My instinct isn't, let's get upstairs. You go in the front door if you're seeing a home, it's like you see the ground floor, you walk around, you take a sure. look, you're kind of going at a leisurely pace, then you head upstairs. It feels like what would have, and maybe they did, maybe that was five minutes from 5.30 to 5.35, they did a kind of quick tour of the downstairs and then they headed, headed upstairs and then that gives sure. them five minutes to stab her 40 times and get out of the house. Now, certainly I don't think they had any time to clean, so I don't right? know- uh, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. No. Because the timeline, but again, if we're going back to, again, speculating, perhaps it was with Jason and Cohen, they would have had time to clean. Sure. To some extent. But again, that's also requiring them passing, faking a lie detector test and paying off witnesses, which feels, again, less and less plausible. But I did like what that cop said about, like, sometimes when it seems impossible, the most... The most simple explanation is true. I do think that that's, yeah. you know. Um, the it's also the connection that the family had a connection to the builder that seems interesting to me. Yeah. And the fact that then I just went, and I mean, look, this is going out on a limb that I, I don't even think I should say it, but I'm just, again, we're, we're leaving no stone unturned. Sure. Is there a beef between this family and the builder and sure, was it like, you know, the mother was not necessarily a part of this, but was it something where Jason had built up something in his mind about wanting to kill uh, Lindsay and then was like, you know what else I'll do? I'll screw over that builder in the process. We'll kill somebody in the house and then no one's going to want to buy this house. It's the only other thing that entered my mind because sure. it was, it, again, these details just feel odd. It's weird that there would be that connection also. Is it, does that prove anything? Of course not. Sure. But it's just, again, it's it's odd. Oh, um, there's like, what sticks out to me the most is they had food at 4 p.m. And Cohen met with him at like five, like five, between five and 5.30 because they had dinner plans. Yeah. When were you going to yeah. eat again? Like, that's, you were going to, like, it's more than possible that they were going to hang out for a while and do something else and then go for dinner later. But it was like, well, they had dinner plans. So, you know, they met up just after five. And then it's like, and then why did they choose to meet there? Why didn't he, like, go pick him up or something? And it, I will never not find it weird that he waited it's weird. 10 minutes, moved the car, waited another 10 minutes, and then was like, you doing okay? It's like, how are you helping her from outside? If she's well, nervous yeah. being alone with these people, you being outside like a bouncer isn't helping. No. You can't hear anything happening in that house. You don't know what's going on. You're like, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. There is also a photo um, from... I think a few months prior to when this happened, uh, they're at like a friend's birthday party. Maybe it was even specifically Lindsay's birthday party, but it's uh, it, it's this photo. It's Lindsay on either side of her is Jason, and then there's another man. I don't remember his name, but they're sitting down at a table. It looks like they haven't ordered yet because they've got the plates with the napkins, whatever. 
and they're having this lovely photo. And then you look and Jason's holding one of the butter knives. Like he's sitting there holding it, like he's pointing it at her. And it's like, why did you pick up a knife for the photo? It's just funny, like disturbing and weird. And just like, again, allegedly, but it just feels very, very suspicious. Yeah. Well, this is the only other thing I wanted to add to this. Yeah. So let's say that that Nikki, Lindsay's friend, uh, was telling the truth that Lindsay had a plan to break up with Jason. Sure. It does feel interesting that they had just moved in together yeah. and then she would have a, a new plan to break up with him, but it's not impossible. Sure. I've been in situations before where I <laughs> – I don't want to get into specifics, but I've been in situations where you you make that step and then you go, oh, no, this was not the right move. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I get that. And you know what I mean? So that's not impossible to me. So let's say that that's true and that Jason did overhear potentially that she had this plan. Sure. She goes home to visit her dad in Calgary in December for Christmas, reaches out to Erickson. And again, it's, it's kind of... Hard to tell whether this was her old friend, her ex's old friend, who knows, whatever, but they hung out in person. Make no mistake, if Jason is this possessive, jealous type, who we also have seen pose in a photo kind of holding a knife to her. Sure. (laughs) Which, again, is, I'm sure, a joke, but not a great one. Yeah. Especially considering she ended up being stabbed to death. Yep. Um, To me, that could be enough of a motive. She was going and hanging out with some other guy when she went home to visit her dad? Sure. Now, typically, I feel like in those situations, that would be more of a, uh, you know, heat of the moment. They get into an argument, a fight, and then a, you know. Sure. That blows up into a accidental, you know, crime of passion type thing. Yeah. Um, not typically a long, drawn-out murder plot. But again, just in terms of of an of a of a motive, to me, if if again, if he's jealous, if he's possessive, if she was planning to break up with him, and then he found out that she had been hanging out with another guy, even if it was completely innocent, just saying, I could see that being enough of a motive for him. Sure. Um, I don't know. Again, we're just I, I'm just trying to make something out of nothing here because it is it is truly so fascinating in in its its like how it's befuddling me. Um, and if the, I mean, listen, and if Nikki did call that number back and, and Jason's mom answered, that's a huge, that's a, I mean, that's a huge problem. <laughs> that's a huge yes. Especially if it was someone with an accent. Right. And it's just, I, I have so many questions about a lot of it, but assuming it was that couple, this can't have been the first time that they were it, in and out and left no evidence that they were there in 10 minutes. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like in the time it takes you to get up the stairs and get into the bedroom and yeah. corner somebody, I feel like you've eaten three minutes, four minutes. Yeah. And when your total time is 10 minutes and you've stabbed somebody 40 times. Yeah. That takes that takes a couple minutes. Like that's not something you can do in it in 90 seconds. No. I've heard um, it was between like 40 and 50 times. Jesus. Like it was an obscene amount of times, which feels 
super angry or was it done to look like it was super angry? It also feels like that many stabs is going to like that's going to be messy. So you're going to be covered in blood. You would think. Yeah. But yes. and also if they were leaving the house when they heard Jason's car and they closed the door again and then went out the back door, then they had to like book it over the fence. Because I don't think there was a gate. So it's like, how the hell did they both get over that fence and not leave like bloody handprints or like, did they stab her within like minutes and like within a couple minutes and then like go wash in a sink or something? Like, it's just, I, oh, I don't get it. Another theory to add into the mix. Sure. Was there someone waiting in that house? Oh, Okay. I don't know how, I, but again, because you're right, the, the level of mess, you're right. How would they have, because there's no way, the only other thing, she pairs up with the, with the woman. They go upstairs while the man puts, puts some sort of something over his clothes, comes upstairs with the murder weapon. Where's the murder weapon coming from? Her purse? I guess. Potentially. Sure. But you see what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you're right. Like, also, they would most likely be covered in blood, and then they're just walking down the street like like nothing? Like, yeah, not impossible. But again, is there a factor here? Is there some other piece that we're just not seeing? Which, again, like, somebody's already in that house, which could then connect to knowing the builder, which would bring us back to Jason and his family. Sure. However... Let's also not underestimate, if this is the drug cartel, I don't underestimate their ability to pull anything off. Nope. Do I think that they could have somebody waiting in that house somehow? Absolutely. Yes, I do. I don't begin to understand how or why, and it's not our business to figure it out. Sure. I think that that is more than possible. Um, the fact that she said to her dad she saw something that she shouldn't have. My question is this. Does she meet up with Erickson? Is it possible that even if there was nothing romantic going on between them, that something happened and someone in his life thought that there was something romantic happening between the two of them? Sure. And perhaps that's a part of this. Someone from that world that was perhaps a girlfriend or something of his. I'm throwing this all out there. It's possible. Be he gets arrested. They go looking through his messages. They see her. Then they go hunting her down because that cell phone was activated the end of January. Well, the other thing is this. Is it possible that they found, it, that, that they found out about it in December and then you know as well as I do. He's gone undetected for however long as a drug dealer. Sure. And then he suddenly gets caught with all of that stuff on him. It is more than possible that the police were working with somebody inside that cartel that tipped them off. Sure. To Erickson. Sure. The fact that there was around a million dollars in that safe and then the value of the home was a million dollars, to me, felt like something. Interesting. Okay. That felt like, again, you know... Potentially. Again, I'm just looking for anything here. Of course. Um, yeah, my question is, 
Is there somebody who's working as working on with the cops in the cartel? I, I'm sure. creating a complete story that it is a lover of Erickson's. The lover finds him with Lindsay is pissed off. She, she sees something she shouldn't have. Holy shit. Oh my God. They're involved in drugs. What have I seen? Oh my God. Sure. This lover tips off the police. This is where he's going to be knowing that he's going to have a bunch of drugs on him. He gets arrested while they're planning this plan to take her out. And to be honest with you, the message that was posted on their website, while you're probably right, it probably just was a terrible internet prank, it also read to me like it could be a scorned lover of his. Interesting. If we're going with this theory, the way that it's written, that it's like her girlfriends don't even care about her anymore, like that kind of thing. Like to me, it read as like it could be a bitter woman. um, A bitter anybody. But again, I'm just speculating. I, I obviously do not know Erickson's uh, sexual sexual orientation or anything. I'm just trying sure. to concoct any sort of possibilities here because there's so little. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you look at it through that, like, bitches die every day. Yeah. Yes, it could absolutely be any gender that wrote that. But there was just when I was looking at it through that lens, it was like, what if that's what it was? And the reason why she was deleting anything to do with him was because she realized, holy shit, I've, I've, I've tipped, I've dipped into something I was not meant to. Because the other reality, too, is that it could have been an absolutely innocent friend meetup. Sure. Completely. Could have also been. Let's put it out there. What if there was some, what if they did hook up? Sure. What if there was something that happened during that time? And either Jason found out or Erickson's person found out. And this is all about revenge. Because, again, sure. that many stabs, I also feel like. Uh, to your point, it's like this is either about revenge or this is about sending a message. Um, what if the woman who called was Erickson's person, and she that brought was what the, I was. She brought the guy with her as a cover for like this is my husband or whatever. Where he actually wasn't; he was just right somebody else. I mean, it's possible. That's what I was thinking. Huh. And well, again, yeah. Again, all speculations. We have no way of knowing, but but we also know that again, you know, people. We're not messing. We're look. We've got nothing but respect for the drug cartel. Is my point. Like, <laughs> yep. you thank you. You're doing your thing. We're we don't want a part of it. Like, nope. we're you you're you're you go do it. Have fun. Um, but yeah, that's the only other thing I could think of that just felt like what is another possible way into this. So I mean, that's what I got well done. It makes sense to me. I mean, and then and then in that case, and then in that case, either final theory, a classic Lauren Ash, they all did it. Sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Is there a world in which go with me? Yeah. We're, We're assuming Erickson is heterosexual. I could be completely wrong, obviously, but let's go with it. Erickson's girlfriend. Uh, is either correct or incorrect in assuming there's something going on between him and Lindsay. Sure. Sets and then informs Jason. What if Jason was in on it too? Interesting. What if Jason provided them with the lockbox information to plant somebody in that house ahead of time? Okay. And then he knew the timing and he knew he needed to have someone to be his alibi. Right. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, sense. It's, a hu- it's a huge leap because that would mean that this person would have to assume that he'd be willing to kill his girlfriend over this, which is, again, a huge assumption, unless, sure. once again, he was presented that as not really being an option. This is the drug cartel. Was he being told more than, do you want to get in on this with us? Uh, less of that and more of, this is what's happening, and you can either help us or we'll kill you too. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, I get and that. And he would pass a polygraph because he, he he wouldn't have lied about anything. Interesting. I mean, we're grasping at straws here, but I like it. <laughs> Listen, again, you know, sometimes I just feel like you gotta, sometimes you gotta spin it out uh, to come back. But again... There's really no way, obviously, obviously there's no way to know, but it's, it is uh, confounding at best, for sure. But the yes. only other thing I wanted to say was, <laughs> I said this to Christy in the break, what you've done in this episode already, and I know that we're going to get to more, is you've confirmed a, a large fear I've always had, which is funny because I'm not a realtor, so I don't, it, I guess I don't need to have the fear, but sure, I've thought over the years, like, wow, they really put themselves you know, an open house, it's like anybody can walk through that door or, you know, meeting up with a stranger uh, to get in their car and, and go look at houses. Like, wow, you're really, you're putting yourself in then, you know, I, and then I often thought, is it a more dangerous job than I thought? And I wonder if you have some answers for us about that. Well, believe it or not, I do. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the funny part, if it, there is a funny part, um, is you've had that instinct of, Ooh, that feels dangerous. Whereas I, naive little Bambi that I am, I guess I'm more feline than Bambi. Neither, neither here nor there. Of course. That's okay, Disney expert. All right. Anyhow, show off. <laughs> the point is, I never once considered how dangerous that job could be. Uh, I mean, I moved around a lot as a kid, but I never dealt with any of that kind of thing. I never dealt with the business side or seeing houses, that kind of thing. So it never dawned on me. And then as an adult, I mean, uh, my realtor was a woman. Uh, I'm a woman. Never thought of like anything dangerous about the two of us being alone, going into a house completely alone, wandering around. Uh, We did not drive anywhere together, but it's just, it never dawned on me how terrifying that could be. And it turns out that uh, real estate agents are incredibly vulnerable to targeted attacks. Uh, They work late hours. They often work alone. They meet prospective clients in empty houses. Sometimes they even get in vehicles with them. Uh, Social media makes it easy for criminals to target and track them uh, with open home addresses. There's times that are advertised openly. Uh, According to an Inman survey done in 2018, 9% of real estate agents surveyed said that they had been attacked or threatened while at work. More than 5% admitted that they had to use a gun to defend themselves. Oh my God. Uh, According to a national, the National Association of Realtors 2018 safety report, 43% of its members say they carry weapons on the job. 24% of women carry pepper spray and 19% of men carry a firearm. 
47% of the members admitted that they use a smartphone safety app that can track where they are and can be a quick, like, one-button push uh, to emergency calls. Uh, And in the 2021 report, 38% of members said they took a self-defense class. Uh, And a statistic that I found shocking, according to the U.S. Department of Labor Statistics, 87 real estate agents died on the job in 2019 in the United States. Wow. So then I start looking into cases involving real estate agents who were attacked while at work. And sadly, there were so many that I just don't have time to get to all of them. And yet somehow I have chosen 12 cases uh, to further highlight the hidden dangers of the realty occupation. Uh, Again, due to information available, we're going to spend more time on some cases than others, just because some there's barely anything out there. But my specific purpose for the ones that I chose, I wanted different time frames. I wanted different geographical locations. I wanted to make sure that we were being, uh, you know, as inclusive as possible. Uh, the first case involves Marianne Plett in Edmonton, Alberta. On September 15th, 1971, Marianne headed out to an acreage southeast of Edmonton with a prospective buyer named James Cooper. He told Marianne he had recently moved to the area from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Sorry, I wasn't going to add the Manitoba, and then I was like, oh, I probably should, just in case people don't know. So, Marianne never returned home from the showing, and police to this day have never found James Cooper. On September 17th, Marianne's car was found abandoned at a used car lot in southern Edmonton. The contents of the glove compartment were missing, including Marianne's purse. Blood matching her type was found in the trunk of the car, along with a wig that she often wore. Uh, Ground and air searches checked the area, but found nothing. In early November, a hunter discovered Marianne's briefcase on a back road near Fort uh, Assiniboine, which is about 160 kilometers or 99 miles northwest of Edmonton. A thorough search of the area was done and sniffer dogs found a can opener, a curler, and a bunch of papers four kilometers or 2.5 miles from where that briefcase was found. The papers very clearly belonged to Marianne as they were documents from Graham Realty Limited, which is the real estate company she worked for. There were also papers that included some of the listings that were available at the time. After a heavy snowstorm on November 4th, the search was called off. Then we go to April 4th, 1972. Two workers digging a drainage ditch near Fort Assiniboine found Marianne's clothing. Dogs were brought to the area, and on April 19th, several bones, including Marianne's skull, were found on the same area where the briefcase was found. I'm very fascinated to know how they never found it during the thorough search of that area. Yeah. Uh, an autopsy could not determine the cause of death. Marianne was just 29 at the time of her disappearance. She was described as a hardworking and loving mother of two. And if that isn't sad enough, years later, Marianne's husband remarried. 
and him and his wife were killed in a plane crash in Cranbrook, B.C. in February 1978. 39 other people on board died, making it one of Canada's worst air disasters at the time. Then I made the mistake of starting to look into, well, what's the worst air disaster in Canada? And I just couldn't continue, so I closed the laptop and moved (laughs) on with my day. Uh, Shortly after Marianne's disappearance, another female real estate agent received a phone call from a man who said his name was Dave Cooper. He had a deep, gravelly voice, which is how Marianne described James Cooper. Dave told the agent he had recently moved from the east and he wanted to see a specific acreage out of town. Thankfully, that realtor was too busy to schedule a viewing. Do I think that James and Dave Cooper is the same person? I do. Do I think they have killed again? Since? I do. In fact, I am curious if this man killed another realtor named Irene Pearson. Irene was found dead in a vacant home on November 16, 1979, in Winnipeg, Manitoba. She'd been hit on the head with a blunt object and stabbed repeatedly in the chest. Police believe the killer posed as a potential client to lure Irene to the house Irene was just 31 at the time of her death. And yes, the murders were nearly seven years apart, and the crime scene in Irene's case was not an acreage, but I still think it's more than possible that Irene's and Marianne's murders were committed by the same person. If I had time to look into it, I bet there are a series of unsolved murders between Alberta and Manitoba in that time frame. But I did not have time to look into it. And we don't have time to get into that anyway. My point is, I'm convinced that man killed multiple women. Yeah. Convinced of it. Um, so for the next one, I may uh, mispronounce this name. If I mispronounce any names, I apologize. I never mean to. I just uh, don't know any better. Uh, the next case is L- Susie Lampla. Uh, who left her office on Fulham Road in London at 12.40 p.m. on July 28, 1986. At 1 p.m., Susie met with a client named Mr. Kipper at a nearby house that had been on the market for a week. Susie was officially reported missing at 6.45 p.m. Just after 10 p.m., Susie's company car was found about one mile or 1.6 kilometers from her office. There was no sign of a struggle and no fingerprints unaccounted for in the vehicle. Susie's purse was in the glove compartment and the driver's side door was unlocked, but Susie's keys were missing. Despite extensive media coverage, police never received any leads on Susie's disappearance, and as of June 2022, Susie has never been found. She was just 25 at the time of her disappearance, Susie was described as outgoing, happy, and conscientious. In 2015, police announced that their prime suspect was John Cannon, as one of Cannon's ex-girlfriends claims he confessed to her that he had killed Susie. Cannon was released from jail just days before Susie was murdered, and allegedly his nickname in prison was Kipper. Oh, boy. 
which may explain the client named Mr. Kipper, who Susie was meeting with. Uh, Police never had enough evidence to convict John of Susie's disappearance, but Cannon is currently in prison serving three life sentences for the murder of a woman named Shirley Banks in Bristol in 1987, as well as the attempted kidnapping of another woman the night before Shirley's death, and the sexual assault of a third woman in 1986 in Reading, Berkshire, as well as the sexual assault of his girlfriend in December 1980. Shortly after uh, Susie, uh, a witness claimed to have seen a man matching John's Cannon's description, throwing a suitcase into the Grand Union Canal in West London. Police never followed up on the lead. The Metropolitan Police later said the canal is regularly dredged and the divers searched the area in 2014 and found nothing. 2014! This case happened in the 80s. Yeah. I love that they're like, oh, well, it was searched in 2014. It's like, oh, yeah, that that's helpful. Yeah. 30 years geez. later. Okay. Um, I'm sure they have other things to do, but the point is anybody that's like, I saw a man throw a suitcase into a canal. I'm going to go, okay, we should handle that. Yeah. Uh, despite being sentenced to three life sentences, John Cannon will be eligible for release in October 2022. Oh, chilling. So that's good to know. Uh, The third case involves realtor Laurel Macon, uh, who met with a potential client at a two-story house in Melton, Victoria, Australia, at 12.15 p.m. on September 15th, 2005. When she didn't return to work, police were contacted, and Laurel's partially nude body was found in the bathtub of the two-story house shortly after 7 p.m. She had been raped, strangled, and left face down in the tub. Laurel was just 48 at the time of her death. She was described as passionate, loyal, loving, and trustworthy. Her killer was found to be 35-year-old Shei Liao, uh, who later told police he didn't go to the meeting planning to kill Laurel. He said, quote, I didn't plan it, I can recall there was this sudden anger burst out of me. I just exploded. I remember I put a choke on her. When asked if Laurel had angered him, Liao said, quote, No, honestly, she was a very nice lady. On his computer, police found thousands of pornographic images, many of which involved couples having sex in a bathtub. Liao was found guilty and sentenced to 27 years with a minimum term of 22 years. Oh, God, this is so sad. (laughs) Just all of it. All of it. Again, they're just doing their jobs. Yep. Why can't people just be safe going places? I'll never understand it. Uh, For the fourth case, we are heading to McKinney, Texas. On July 8, 2006, the body of Sarah Ann Walker was found in a model home. She had a bite mark on her neck and had been stabbed 33 times. Sarah's jewelry was missing from the scene. She was just 40 years old at the time of her death. Sarah was described as ambitious, enthusiastic, focused, and incredibly smart. 
She had earned a master's degree in business and was working towards a master's degree in theology. Thanks to DNA from under Sarah's fingernails and bloody fingerprints found at the scene, police arrested 36-year-old Kosol Chanthakauman. Just two months later, uh, the jury took less than an hour to deliberate before Kosol was found guilty and sentenced to the death penalty. His lawyers admitted that Kosol did murder Sarah, but said he didn't deserve the death penalty because it was simply a robbery that, quote, didn't go the right way. And to that I say, didn't go the right way. Yes, what a way to word that, I know. I might believe her if her death was an accident, but stabbing her 33 times, 10 of which were fatal, is not an accident. Yeah. Kosol was set to die by lethal injection on January 25th, 2017. However, for some reason, his execution was stayed. However, in July 2021, his execution date was reset for November 2021. But as of June 2022, that has been moved to August of 2022. So don't know if that will stick or what's going to happen with that. Uh, The fifth case involves an agent being attacked at a full office building. Troy Vanderstelt had an 8.30 a.m. meeting at his office in Muskegon, uh, Michigan, with his client Robert Johnson on July 1st, 2008. Johnson was angry that the house he had purchased three years prior had decreased in value, and he was convinced that Troy had ripped him off. It should be stated, there is no evidence that Troy did anything dishonest in their dealings. Troy said, quote, as far as I'm concerned, you don't have to come back here anymore. And Johnson snapped, took out a gun, and shot Troy in the head. Troy was just 33 at the time of his death. He was described as professional, honorable, and full of heart. Robert Johnson, who was 74 at the time, was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Wow. Yeah. Hope that hope that was worth it, yeah, Robert. Yeah, I was so surprised at the age, but yeah, I just, again, so many of these, it's, it's all senseless, but so many of these, I'm like, what, what is happening here? Yeah. Uh, next case is from Des Moines, Iowa, involving realtor Ashley Oakland. Ashley was shot twice shortly before 2 p.m. on April 8th, 2011, during an open house at a model home in the Stone Creek Villas development. An employee of the development heard a commotion and called 911 when Ashley was found. That employee uh, has been checked by police and was found to not be involved. Uh, Ashley was taken to hospital where she later died from her injuries. She was just 27 years old. Ashley was described as positive, inclusive, and very welcoming of others. A playground was built in 2014 in her memory. Police have said that while they have no suspects in the case, they don't think Ashley's murder was random. A police police spokesperson said, quote, there is no reason to believe that this is anything but an isolated incident. However, investigators are still trying to determine a motive and possible suspects in the shooting. 
Since Ashley's murder, investigators said they have executed multiple search warrants, followed up on nearly 900 leads, and have interviewed more than 500 people. As of June 2022, Ashley's case remains unsolved. And again, for me, it's the daylight. It's the ones that happen in broad daylight, and there's nobody sees anything. I just, to this day, will never understand it. Uh, so next, we are going to the case of Vernon Holbrook. Uh, he had a showing on the morning of May 25th, 2013, at a property in Cowich, Washington. When he didn't arrive back at the office, a member of Vernon's staff went to check on him and found that Vernon had been beaten and his throat had been slashed. He was taken to a hospital where he fell into a coma. Vernon's phone was found was missing from the scene, so police dug into Vernon's phone records and found the last person he spoke to was a woman named Adriana Mendez. 24-year-old Adriana lived at a motel with her three children under the age of eight. She claimed that she got Vernon's number from an ad and that she wanted to speak with him about selling a trailer. Adriana denied being anywhere near the house on the day of the attack, but when police found phone records that proved Adriana was in fact in the area at the time, as well as security camera footage of her, her children and an unknown man getting into a car uh, in that area, uh, she admitted she went to the property with her children and her boyfriend, uh, Louise Gomez Mong, uh, and the children, while the children stayed in the car, she and her boyfriend went inside. She claimed Louis, Louise uh, hit Vernon, and she went back to the car. Adriana also admitted she got Vernon's number from a man named Daniel Blizzard, who was an associate of Vernon's. Vernon was the owner of Aspen Real Estate. In 2008, he was ready to retire, so he made a handshake deal with Daniel, agreeing to sell him the business. Vernon agreed to stay on as the face of the business for one year. As part of the deal, Daniel took out a $1.6 million life insurance policy on Vernon. But 16 months later, Vernon took the business back after Daniel failed to make more than two payments. While Daniel struggled financially, he made sure to keep up on those payments on Vernon's life insurance. I bet he did. Turns out that Daniel met Adriana through his girlfriend, Jill, who happened to be the ex-wife of Vernon's son. Oh, my God. Daniel had been paying Adriana's rent, and Daniel offered Adriana and her boyfriend $12,000 to kill Vernon, posing as potential buyers. Eight months after the attack, Vernon, who suffered brain damage during the attack, died from his injuries. He was 78 at the time of his death. Oh, my God. Vernon was described as generous, uh, a beloved family man, and a hardworking professional as he was still working 60-hour work weeks. At 78. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, without a murder weapon, police struggled to tie Luis to the crime, so they used Adriana and Jill as witnesses in exchange for lighter sentences. Adriana pleaded guilty to assault and rendering criminal assistance and was sentenced to one year. Charges were dropped against Jill, Vernon's ex-daughter-in-law. 
Uh, Luis was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to 28 years. Daniel was also convicted and sentenced to 34 and a half years. Uh, Next up, the case of Beverly Carter. On September 25th, 2014, Beverly called her husband at 5.30 p.m. to say she had a showing for some potential buyers at a house on Old River Drive in Scott, Arkansas. When her husband hadn't heard back from Beverly at 9 p.m., he went to the address and found Beverly's Cadillac parked in the driveway with her purse inside. The door to the house was open. Her husband searched the property but couldn't find Beverly. A large search occurred over the next few days, including other real estate offices in the area closed down for the day so their agents could take part in the search, which I think is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, On September 29th, Aaron Lewis was arrested and charged with kidnapping Beverly. And the next day, September 30th, 2014, Beverly's body was found in a shallow grave at the Argos Concrete Company, 20 miles or 32 kilometers from where she disappeared. Her head had been wrapped in duct tape and she suffocated. The site was the location uh, where Aaron Lewis used to work. Police also arrested Lewis's wife, Crystal Lowry, in connection to the crime. Beverly was 50 at the time of her death. Her family described her as an amazing wife and loving mother and grandmother. They said, quote, her grandkids will never know the magnitude of her greatness. When asked why he targeted Beverly, Lewis replied, quote, because she was just a woman who worked alone. A rich broker. Oh, my God. Lewis's wife, Lowry, claimed they planned to just kidnap Beverly and keep her at an abandoned building at the concrete plant. But when they arrived, they found the building was no longer abandoned, so Lewis had to, quote, improvise. Lowry was sentenced to 30 years. Uh, Luis was sentenced to, or Lewis was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. In honor of his mother's legacy, Beverly's son founded the Beverly Carter Foundation, which is a not-for-profit, quote, dedicated to the ideal that every agent goes home safe every day. Uh, The ninth case that I offer is that of Stephen Bernard Wilson. On December 5th, 2018, Dylan Augustniak approached the model home in Hanover, Maryland, where Steve had just shown his clients. Dylan was dressed in full camouflage and carrying a 22 caliber rifle. He walked around the house until he found a door that was unlocked, entered the house, and started firing. Stephen called 911 shortly after 5 p.m., but was unable to articulate any words. Dylan then demanded money from Stephen before grabbing his cell phone and laptop and running to a nearby wooded area. Police used uh, canine units to search the area, and Dylan was officially charged with first-degree murder and felony use of a firearm on December 7th. Stephen was pronounced dead at the scene. He was just 33 at the time of his death. Stephen was described as charismatic and funny, with a smile that could brighten any room. He was a loving husband and father to two girls. Stephen's wife discovered she was pregnant with their third child the night before Stephen was murdered. So as though that wasn't tragic enough, we add that. Uh, Dylan, who was 
18 at the time he committed the crime, uh, had received various diagnoses throughout his life, including depression, PTSD, schizophrenia, antisocial disorder, a mood disorder, and autism spectrum disorder. He was sentenced to life in prison for Stephen's murder, as well as an additional 20 years for using a firearm in a crime of violence. Uh, the next one involves Monique ba Bao sorry, uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Monique was lured to a fake home showing where she was abducted by two men and forced into the back of a U-Haul truck December 31st, 2019. Two hours later, around 5.30 p.m., one of the men used Monique's keys to enter the house that Monique shared with her boyfriend, John Mitchell Momoa, uh, and their two young daughters. The man was wearing a black ski mask. He shot John several times in the torso. John did survive. Oh, my God. Later that evening, Monique was found in an alley. Her hands were bound with tape, and her body showed signs of torture. She had been shot three times, including once to the head. Monique later died in hospital. She was just 28 at the time of her death. Monique was described as sweet, funny, kind, and, quote, her laugh was contagious. Monique was the loving mother of two daughters, age one and three. As of June 2022, five suspects have been convicted on various charges relating to Monique's death. In July 2021, Cedric Berry and Barry Davis were convicted of first-degree premeditated murder and were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. They both received additional sentences of 13 years for kidnapping and 20 years each for attempted second-degree murder for trying to kill Monique's boyfriend, John. Elsa Segura uh, was convicted in September 2021 for making the call that lured Monique to the fake home showing. She was sentenced to life in prison. Elsa was a probation officer and the girlfriend of Lyndon Wiggins, who was convicted of aiding and abetting premeditated first-degree murder and kidnapping. Wiggins is scheduled to be sentenced later this month. A fifth co-defendant, Shantae Davis, has a trial set for October 2022. The idea that a probation officer was involved, I can't. The idea that uh, someone could knowingly make a call like that to lure someone, knowing something bad was going to happen, I can't. Um, as for why, some believe it had something to do with the fact that Wiggins once accused John, who was an up-and-coming rapper, of stealing music. According to court documents, Cedric and John may have also been rival drug dealers. Either way, what an incredible waste of life and what a horrific thing to do to Monique's children, who were home at the time when John was shot. Uh, the next case involves Virginia Realtor, and I apologize because I'm probably going to say this wrong, Soren Arn Olschlegel. Soren closed a deal with his client, Albert Baglion, in early October 2021. Albert, who was living in Alabama at the time, purchased a house in Portsmouth, Virginia, sight unseen, and moved in October 7th. The next day, October 8th, Albert called Soren and asked him to stop by as he was unhappy with the house. 
Shortly after Soren arrived, Albert shot him. He then called 911 to say, quote, I shot my realtor. Oh. Police arrived at the Bowling Road home just before 6 p.m. Albert opened the door with a gun in his hand, told police he had shot Soren, then he closed the door. Soon after, police heard a gunshot, and when they entered the building, both men were dead. Soren was just 41 at the time of his death. Albert was 84. Soren was described as kind, generous, and vibrant with a magnetic personality. He was active in the local Hamptons Road Pride community for more than a decade. Sadly, the last thing that Soren posted on Facebook was a photo of the house that Albert had bought with a message, quote, Congratulations to my out-of-town buyer. I'm so happy I was able to find him a home that fit his needs. And that's crushing to me and the fact that I really just want someone to go in his account and take that down just because it... I know. It's sad. I mean, God, this is all depressing. But our final case of the day involves Ramina Shah, who was stabbed multiple times around 4.30 p.m. January 27th, 2022, in the parking structure as she left her office in Coquitlam, B.C. She later died in hospital. Ramina was just 32 at the time of her death. She was described as full of life, outgoing, positive, and an amazing example to her three children. Ramina always stood up for what was right and never backed down from a fight. Police made sure to publicly announce that Ramina's death was not related to any gang conflict or criminal activity. They believe she was specifically targeted. Her murder currently remains unsolved, although allegedly Ramina's ex-husband has a bit of a record. Between 2000 and 2008, he had criminal convictions for using counterfeit money, using credit card information without permission, and obstructing a peace officer. Between 2015 and 2018, police say there were 29 complaints against the ex-husband, including multiple counts of fraud. Is it possible he was involved in Romina's murder? Or perhaps her murder was in retaliation for her ex's actions. As of June 2022, Romina's case remains unsolved. And while I've just mentioned 12 cases where real estate agents were attacked while on the job, this was a drop in the bucket for how often this unfortunately happens. It's terrifying and sad that there are so many hidden dangers in a job that you wouldn't normally consider to be unsafe, and I will never understand someone who chooses to attack or murder someone simply because the opportunity presents itself. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Christy Oxborough. I mean, I got so many things I want to say, yeah. uh, but let's take one more quick break before I say them. Hit the can one more time, grab one more drink, and we're going to wrap it up on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. 
Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, talking Lindsay Buziak and then just the truly terrifying profession that is real estate. Um, yeah, these stats that you started with. Is, again, I, I, I love that I've thought this before, but then put it from my mind. Because um, I think anything, I mean, everyone knows my biggest fear is home invasion. So again, sure. anything about being in a home alone and then somebody killing you there is, uh, it's, that's what my nightmares are made of. So I think that's why I've never uh, thought about this too hard. But but my sure. instincts were, were correct. And uh, Yes, they were. How chilling. How chilling. How this, great for your instincts, though. Yeah, listen, again, they're usually never wrong. Um, or there's something there. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to go through these real quick because I do have a few thoughts. This first one, Marianne Plett, the true, the true horror that she's killed in such a horrific way. And then her husband remarries and they both die in a plane crash. Like that just feels. It's. Oh, you I can mean, say it. That is unfair. It's unfair. That's I, what a I th- lot. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot for a family. I was like. <sighs> There was like that dark comic part of me that was like, <laughs> I'm shocked that that this wasn't in the Alanis Morissette ironic song. Because everybody talks about how those things aren't ironic. They're just unfortunate. Sure. And this is yes. that to like a million, the a millionth degree. Like sure. that poor family. Oh, I what, know. What a horrific, horrific story. I mean, truly. Um, I'm so sorry for them. It is also very interesting uh, that this guy, yeah, Absolutely. I'm sure there was, you know, rarely I feel like do people in these kinds of situations just kill once when it feels like it is a thrill killing, for lack of a better term. Like, sure. he's lured her there. He's killed her. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that there was probably at least some more attempts, if not. It's yeah. also more than possible, too, he could change up his M.O. So I think that that other one where he was, sure. it was very, very similar Seemed definitely like it was also him, but then I would never rule out that there would be other murders that oh, weren't the exact 100%. same M.O., but obviously could be attributed to him. Um, Then we move on to Susie. Mr. Kipper, that name already, now maybe because again of my, I anytime I think about Kippers, I think about um, uh, Faulty Towers. That is what comes to mind. Interesting. Yeah. For me, it's a cartoon dog. Of course. I think he's British. I could be wrong. There's a lot of tip-tap-tapping going on out there. 
just hearing a lot of like a lot of <laughs> a lot of yeah. dog nails on hardwood, and I don't know what's happening with them. Yeah. I'm going to we assume could do a quick pause if you want to do a I'm quick gonna pause. I'm going to assume I'm going to give them one more minute. I'm going to assume they're okay. fine. But yeah, a lot of tip tap tapping. Um anyway, Mr. Kipper, um, immediately I'm like, "Oh no, this just feels like I don't know. I don't know whether that's a common name in the UK. To, uh, my gut is telling me no. I also I'm certain she probably felt like she had no reason to think that it wasn't, but it was just that that immediately when you said it, my stomach just was like, "Mm-mm." And then to find out it there was also the potential that his nickname was that in prison. It was like, well. I know. Oh, God. Um, the fact that that man is potentially going to be out of prison in October of this year is truly, truly Horrifying. Tri- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh. It's amazing to me that you can be uh, sentenced to three consecutive life sentences but only have to serve a portion of it. I know, I know. And when it's for violent crimes, because for yeah. me, if it's crimes that are nonviolent crimes, you know, frauds, for example, you know, sure. in- insurance frauds, those kinds of things, drug crimes, nonviolent sure. drug-related crimes. If you want to, you know, kind of package those together and have the person serve time served or, or, or whatever, that doesn't bother me as much as violent sexual assaults and murders to me it's like can we just give them the full amount of time if nothing else yeah feels like that's maybe the least we could do peaches peaches i know it's you she's gonna she's gonna poop somewhere for sure for sure and that that's gonna be my cross to bear um okay we'll keep going we're just gonna keep going yep Yep. it's too late now is the point i heard the tip tap tapping she didn't immediately come here. So again, if it's if it's going to happen, it's already happened. Um, Laurel. Oh, my God. The fact that, that her killer said, oh, she did nothing to provoke me. I just flew into a rage. She was oh, actually no. quite nice. And then the specific that she was found in the tub and he had been watching porn with people having sex yeah. in tubs. <sighs> it's just... Again, it's the thing that nightmares are made of. Yeah. Um, then we had Sarah Ann. Uh, the DNA, of course, was what got her killer. He's currently on death row. That will be interesting to see because Trump did, um, in his in his time as president, he sure. did he did see through a lot of executions. There was I can't remember the number, but there was uh, for people on death row. He just huh. started. Started there going. Let's go. It was like it was a it was sure. a whole stretch of them, which was kind of horrifying. To- there were a, a multiple people in Texas that were executed that year. Yeah, but I don't know why his was not followed. It's through interesting. On. Well, but anyway, um, again, and this may have been a little bit after Trump's time, so it may not have been in the same the same thing or whatever. But it just made me think about that and. It's wild to me that the death penalty is even still used uh, in America, but it is in, in places. And so it's, it's, sure. inter- it's all an interesting debate. All right. Then we had Troy. Um, oh, his client, Robert Johnson, pissed that his house had dropped in value. I mean, I can't. And then again, 74. And the fact that that happened twice is interesting to me because then there's the later case as yeah. well where it was. Soren. Yes. Yeah. What's that about? 
that's just so interesting to me that you found two men who are in their later years who yeah. kill people in the same way. Like, is it one last hurrah? Is it something about some sort of, I don't know, degenerative brain issue? Like, what? What? It's just interesting to me that – and listen, maybe those men had both killed people or done violent things in their younger years and, and we don't know. Sure. But it's interesting that someone would start to murder in their 70s and 80s. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's wild to me that both of them were angry and then went, you know what? To as like I'm just the way I'm going to solve my problem is with violence. Yes. That is wild to me. And also the fact that he specifically brought a gun to that appointment because he was angry and thought he got ripped off and was like, well, I'm going to show you and shot him in a building full of witnesses is shocking. Uh, and then in Soren's case was upset that the house he bought sight unseen wasn't what he wanted. Because yeah, sir, photos only show you so much from a house. It's completely different to see it in person and I don't care if you didn't like what you got. If yeah. it came down to it, then go, oh, wow, I've made a terrible mistake. And then be like, hey, Soren, funny story. I'd like you to sell this home and then figure out a way to find somewhere else. You don't murder the person who did nothing wrong. Well, also, you've just made your problem worse. Now, again, I know that that, yeah. that Soren did did take his life, his own, um, or excuse me, his uh, his killer, right? Soren was yes, the, Albert. The, excuse Albert me, thank you. Shot Soren and then shot. That's himself. right. Yes. Albert took his own life, so that that was that. But in terms of Robert Johnson, I mean, that was a man who was pissed that his house dropped in value, and then boy oh boy yeah. oh, did your new house become a prison cell? You know what I mean? Like it's like, well, I yeah. hope you're happy that you killed somebody over something, and then damned yourself to living in a worse condition. I don't know. Right? Uh, there's a, a, there's no, uh, something I often say is a Lauren Ashism. You can't apply logic to the illogical. Sure. Um, then we had Ashley. Oh, God. Oh. No suspects. Police don't think it was random. 900 leads, but still unsolved. I mean, I know. my God. Oh, then we get to Vernon, and this one is particularly dark, considering Vernon was 78 at the time of his death and was badly beaten, his throat slashed, but did live in a coma for eight months yeah. before passing. What a fighter. That man yeah. also working 60-hour weeks to the time of his death. God bless yeah. him. I mean, this whole this whole story is tragic to me. The fact that he oh, sold the business and then it didn't work out, but boy, did, did the Daniel Blizzard... Also sounds like a fake name to me. I know. Um, boy, did he take out that life insurance policy. I mean. I know. That shit is so dark. So dark. And again, for a man, let me have a moment here. You're going to love where I go on this. This man had built this business to be a very large deal in the community from what sure. it sounds like. And he he stayed on for a year or the, the deal was he would stay on for a year because he was the face of the business. Everybody knew him. Yeah. He's in his, he's 78 at this time, 77, 78. This man worked his entire life. He was working 60 hour weeks to the time of his death. And these people just like, 
And you think that you're owed, Daniel Blizzard. You think that you're owed something from this man who worked his balls off his entire life. That's disgusting. I mean, it's all disgusting, but it's just, again, this is a man who literally worked into almost to his 80s, building a business. And then this Yahoo comes along and it's entitlement. It's just that entitlement to the point of taking a life. I can't. I can't with that. That is like. And I I assume the life insurance means he was planning this. I mean, he would have to. It's also wild. Like, it was over $1 million for a man in his late 70s? Well, I I mean, mean, I guess that goes to show how impressive that business is. Yeah. And I also didn't realize that you could take out a life insurance policy on a non-family member. I guess you can on a business associate? That feels troubling. That feels like that shouldn't be allowed. Oh, 100%. There's something unsettling about it. It's I mean, it was part of their deal, but also that would have been a red flag for me. Yes! Like, 100%. oh, but I'm going to need a, a life insurance policy on you. I'd be like, oh, I don't think you do. And I'm sure it's because it was like, well, I'm buying this deal in the hopes that your face will still be the thing. So if you die sure. in a month, that's going to be, it's going to affect my business. I can understand how... Vernon, as a business guy, would go, that makes sense to me. I could get why he would agree to it. But yeah, I agree with you. I think that that's, anyway, what a tragedy. Um, And we get to Beverly. Uh, Here's a question I have. So Aaron Lewis and his wife, they kidnap her. They take her to this cement factory where Aaron had been working. And his wife says our intention was just to take her. Not to kill her. Yeah. But then there was no house there where they thought it would be, so he, quote, improvised and, of course, tragically killed her. It's it's very, it's awful. And I'm going to say these words, and I want you to know, I don't want to know the answer. Okay. But my question is, mm-hmm. what was your plan to just keep her? Did his I wife need to believe there was a ransom plan? Okay, okay, that makes that's, me feel better. That's sure. kind of what I think, because they assumed she was rich, right? Based on I don't know what uh, vehicles she drove, something I don't know, but they assumed she was rich. So I assume, because I can't think of it any other way, that they took her thought they'll get to a place. Try and get a ransom. If it doesn't work, then, you know, they go from there. But then when they went to the place, instead of improvising by finding another place, he just decided, ah, it's too much work. Well, and I'm also just going to put this out there to Aaron Lewis's wife. Um, Yeah. I don't know that maybe you two were on the same page. Yeah. Seems to me that maybe your husband... uh, did what he intended to do. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, that makes sense. Oh, my God. Now Sharky's running around. I mean, it's chaos in this house right now. <laughs> um, but yes, and then, of course, the the line that chilled me, I think, more than anything in this episode, which was, why did you target her? And the answer was, she was just a woman who worked alone. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that stays with you. Because that's horrifying. Just simply woman who works alone. Yeah. Gross. Chills me to my core. Uh, Then we get to Stephen. This is the man who was just showing a house. This didn't even have to do with being lured, right? This was just a man who was was showing a house and then a random gunman shows up. Yep. I can't. Oh, and his wife finding out she was pregnant the night before with the third child. That is a detail that just feels just awful. Um, And listen, I'm not going to get back into the the gun conversation because we had a lengthy discussion about it in the last episode of the show. We did. Um, But again, it does feel like this was was an 18-year-old. Yes. And I'm guessing he had those guns legally. I don't know. But yeah, it is. But possible. I mean, the other point is too is that it's it's very also very easy to at- obtain guns illegally. So that's that's also something. But my God, what a horrific! And for I what? Know. For him to steal steal a cell phone and a laptop? I know. I'm sure you probably could have got the cell phone and the laptop without killing him. Oh, absolutely. <sighs> the man's wife later said, like, if if he had said, "Give me all your money." He would have taken him to a bank and drained his account, no questions asked. Of he would course. have done it. So it's like, what it's point so is this? Senseless. Like, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Um, but that makes me think again that it's not just about stealing those things. It sure. was about the again. It was a thrill kill. It was. It was just all part of it. Is what it sounds like to me. Again, I'm sure. speculating. Uh, Monique, here's a question I have about this one. She's lured to this fake showing by a probation yeah. officer. My God. Um, mm-hmm. the two men take her, torture her, leave her for dead. They take her keys, go to her home and shoot her husband. And then the question that I, I think I know the answer to, thank God, but I, I just had to speculate or I just had to, to, to ask is there were two children in the home and the children yes. were unharmed. Correct. First of all, thank God. Oh, I know. But second of all, I don't know how. <laughs> like, this crime is so grisly and awful and and yeah. premeditated in the sense that it's like, we're going to take you and torture you, take your keys, shoot your husband. Yeah. I mean, thank God. Thank God for, for, for something so horrific. Thank God at least those children didn't get touched. I mean, their oh, lives were horrifically shattered. Don't get me. I'm not negating that, but thank God they're at least still alive because it would have seemed otherwise based on the rest of that crime. Um, then of course, yes, Soren, we touched on that already, which again, just horrific. And then finally, this most recent one, 2022 up to the minute, look at you. I never doubt that you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. Um, this is an interesting one too. And, and again, Shot in a parking structure, another one of my biggest fears. Um, I guess walking alone, being alone, dying alone. I think maybe that's maybe the root of all of my I think we've got fears. to the heart of it. Maybe got to yeah. it. Look at that. Therapy. Um, I hope that there's still an investigation that's taken seriously and that they get to the bottom yes. and, and and find out who who is who is to blame and that there can be some sort of justice. The the bottom line for me throughout all of this is again that yeah. What a horror show. And uh, yeah. I don't blame these uh, real estate agents for taking self-defense classes, having their pepper sprays. No. To be honest with you, I don't blame the ones that choose to arm themselves. If they do it legally and it's not an assault weapon, I understand. It's not an assault rifle. I understand that that, that is uh, your prerogative in, in the United States of America. Um, 
because again, what we've heard is 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 all chilling, uh, to say the least. But it's also it's 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 interesting because I feel like in so many of these instances too, like there is a certain level of trust that you kind of have to give. I feel like when you're doing this job, and I don't yeah. know that at the end of the day, even if you had that gun in hand or you had your pepper spray, I don't know that it's going to make the difference. In some of these cases, you're dead before there's even a chance. You know, in in a lot of them, I feel like. Yeah. If you're literally showing a house, someone come, literally walks in the house and shoots you, you don't have a chance. Like, you know, there's so many of these where, and, you know, of course, there's there's a couple where we don't know the what the struggle potentially was or wasn't. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that, yes, I'm, I'm horrified that my instinct was correct. And uh, I just hope that um, anybody who's <laughs> who works in this field, that we have not horrified you, but... Uh, if we've inspired you to be safe, be safe because this oh, is a this yeah. is a terrible, terrible. Yeah, people just trying to do their jobs. It's it's right? so upsetting, and I mean, listen, and that that can extend to again. Not that we're going to get into another rant, but it can extend to again teachers. It can extend to people again working in grocery stores, like happened in, what happened in Buffalo. You know, like people oh, yeah. the the fact that people have to fear just doing their jobs. Um, in public or semi-public places is very overwhelming to think about. Very overwhelming. Um, so my God, a, a fantastic work. Because again, I don't think that this is something that I've ever heard really talked about in a real way. And obviously it's, uh, it's definitely something that's out there. There's a, there's a lot of, again, the fact that there yeah. was two cases you found with men in their, their, the winter of their lives in their seventies and their eighties, sure. killing people, killing their realtors, um, you know, you got two of them. That's that could be a coincidence, but where there's smoke, there's fire, and I have a feeling there could be be a lot more cases uh, that that meet that exact same criteria, uh, which again oh. is unbelievable to think about. Oh, I've I've never felt more naive in my life. Yeah, like I I went into this like, oh, okay, well, I don't have enough on this one to be like a full episode. I wonder if there are any similar cases. And then I was like, oh, I found a couple. That's great. Okay, four. Oh, wow, eight. Oh, wow, 16. Oh, wow. Like it just kept going and it got to the point where I was like, okay, great. I have to whittle this down because I had so many. And it's just, I never thought that, like never once did it enter my mind that there was ever any sort of safety issue. But now that I look at it, I'm like, of course there's a safety issue. People are alone, like at an open house. You just sit in the house and anybody can walk through that door and you have no idea. Or going to show a property. And then you're wandering around this house and there's nobody. It's like, I can't, I, I don't know if it needs to turn into, it's like a buddy system where no realtor is ever like in a situation where they're alone with a client or something. I don't know, but I honestly did not think that I was going to have to whittle down the number of similar cases that I found. Like I did not see that coming, but if you are a real estate agent, kudos yeah, for the, just the guts that it takes to do that. I always just thought like, oh God, it must be such a pain to deal with people, yeah. especially like 
Because buying a house, you're going to be particularly picky compared to, you know, buying pants or something. Yes. yes. So I can only imagine how frustrating that job must be and the long hours and probably not proper holidays and working weekends and all of that. But adding in like an aspect of just sheer terror, that's just incredibly unfair. Just let them do their jobs. Yes. I I mean, I'll be honest with you, though. We're not going to get into the gun thing again. But I will be honest, like, there have been times for me when the movie theater shootings were big. This is is a few years ago now. And it was the first time in my life. Because in Canada, growing up, it never entered my mind as a child, a teen, an adult. Going to a movie never entered my mind. And then there was a string of those movie theater shootings. And I... I remember the next movie I went to, I was terrified the whole time. And I was checking around the whole time. Sure. And uh, as I'm sure many people have experienced, but yeah, that's the unfortunate thing is that, you know, these things happen in public spaces. That's that's what starts to happen. So I'm sure it's also possible that for some realtors, at least in the U.S., it may just be that it's like, well, we kind of, we we assess that kind of percentage of danger as as we do if we're going to a movie theater or going anywhere in public. I mean, a mass shooting can happen sure. anywhere, right? So I know these aren't mass shootings, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. I don't know if that's part of the mindset here, at least. I don't know. But again, to your point, you've got cases here in the UK, in Canada. This is not just a US situation. This is something that's no. affecting realtors anywhere and everywhere. Um, so again, yeah, kudos, kudos. You got to have a you got to have the guts. You got to have guts to do that job. Yes. You got to have a lot of bravery. My goodness. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, Christy Hawksborough, amazing work as always. I, I never doubt you. And I know this was not a typical episode. I think it was fabulous. Hey. I well, love thank it. you. You're if nothing welcome. else, the quote that he killed her because she was a woman working alone. If nothing else, that is with me for life. It will haunt my so. dreams tonight and probably yep. always. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I thank you for your work, and I'm sure the listeners do as well. It was uh, fabulous, as always. And um, we thank you, dear listeners, for going on this journey with us. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails, Twitter at Not Detectives. And if you like like our content, you want some more, go over to Patreon, patreon.com slash True Crime and Cocktails. It is a subscription-based service where we have monthly Uh, weekly bonus episodes, monthly live Q&As. You can also take part in a monthly uh, poll where you help determine one of the episodes we cover on this feed of the show. So that is always very exciting. And if you're looking for True Crime and Cocktails merch, the only place for official merch is truecrewmerch.com. Um, we are offering our Pride Month t-shirts over there. They're only available until the end of June, and 50% of the profits will be going to the Trevor Project, which is an amazing organization um, offering a helpline for LGBTQ plus youth. Uh, so please do pick one up while you can, if you're interested. Christy, do you want to tell the people about next week's episode? Well, I thought you might want to, since it's kind of your 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 idea. Of course. Well, listen, as I alluded to earlier, on the next True Crime and Cocktails, Lavinia Fisher. Billed as America's first female serial killer. hey So we're going to be learning more about that next week uh, when I'm stirring the batter uh, and Christy's driving the train. Um, But until then, Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? 
Good night, Dave Grohl. Good night, future time traveling us. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.